everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 113 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm here with Mo Choice from MoChoice.com. Mo, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Josh. Awesome, Mo. Looking forward to it. Uh, can you give everyone a quick intro, just a little bit about you and what you're working on these days? Yeah, so I, I run a, a program called The One Page Plan. It's essentially this idea that... Um, you, you don't you don't need to complicate you don't need all the details you don't need all the tactics um, you just need a, a framework for how you're going to make decisions um, and this started initially as a as I was an entrepreneur it started to help me build businesses and run successful projects and then I transitioned it into sort of project me or project you why can't we why can't we create a, a business plan for ourselves um, and that's what took me into the solopreneur world and so that's that's what I do now. Awesome. And, and can we talk a little bit about your journey? Like when did, when and how did your first entrepreneurial uh, activity or venture begin? So I was selling illegal, illegally, I might add, um, mixtapes um, okay. before, this is just before CDs. Well, CD, CDs were, were around, but, it, but, but no one could record on CDs unless you, unless you were part of one of the big um, recording studios. Um, so I, I used to sell illegal mixtapes, and then I got access through a couple of DJ friends of mine to to the CDs in the UK. So so in the old days, you'd have to, to that in the old days we'd have to wait for music to arrive in the UK six to eight weeks from when it came out in America. Um, that was to do with shipping. I assume shipping a CD over. Um, so I had access to the CDs when they came out in the states, and so I was able to then copy the CDs and create tapes out of the CDs and sell them in the UK six to eight weeks before. That was my first, that's when I realized people would, people would pay for impatience. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the lesson there. It's like, you know how people queue up in the, in the Apple store, like overnight just to get the new iPhone, they could just turn up the next day or the day after oh, yeah. and, and buy. Yeah. It, it, so that's what, that was my first understanding of that, the impatience of people and how they wanted to be the first person with the it was hip hop at the time hip hop was blowing up so Tupac Biggie people like that um so so that was my first ever entrepreneurial journey I was at 16 and I did that all the way through college oh wow so the age to the age of 21 22 something like that and and what did you take in college and and then what happened after you graduated so I did I did project management look I didn't want to go to I didn't want to go to it's university right I didn't want to go to university um I didn't see the point. I was like, I can learn a lot more in, in three or four years um, uh, out in the real world. But my father convinced me. He said, "Look, if, if it doesn't work out for you as an entrepreneur, at least you've got this to fall back on, and it's quite a it's quite a good status to have." And and so I looked for the the, the university that kept me in London, a university with a good reputation. I didn't care what the course was. Um, and so I found I found a, a course in project management, which I didn't even know was a thing at the time. Um, so I, I picked project management at UCL, which was the fourth best university at the time in the UK. And I thought, this is, I know the neighborhood. Um, it'll keep me close. It's pretty straightforward. And so, but, but actually what ended up happening was I learned a lot about how to build projects. Um, so I took a lot of that theory into my entrepreneurial journey. So it actually wasn't so much of a waste of time. Right. And then, so you graduated. What, what did you, what was the first thing that happened then? Did you go looking for a job? Did you get a business I, going I right away? Had, well, I had a lot, I had a, quite a bit of money, and I decided to just tour the world. Let's say so. I went to America, I went to parts of Europe, I went to a, a couple of countries in Asia, 
and then I came back to my dad's house and I was broke. Um, mm -hmm. I spent literally spent all my money. It was the first time I I had the opportunity to spend money as a free man, let's say, mm -hmm. um, or at least it felt that way. Um, and then I remember I arrived on like a Thursday and my father was like, where the hell have you been? It was like <laughs> five months, five months. And, and, you know, no mobile phones, none of that. I didn't have a mobile phone at the time. I didn't I wasn't interested in them. Um, and he and, and I told him where I was and he said, OK, relax and we'll talk later. And then like on the Sunday, he said, you got two options. You get a job um, or you move out. And that was the two options he gave me. And mm -hmm. I said, no, no, I've got this business idea. And, blah, blah. and he was like, there's no I, you can do whatever you want outside of this house or or you can um he wasn't too happy with my performance in college by the way i took me an extra it took me an extra year to graduate right um, mainly because i didn't turn up to turn up to university that year but um um so so i picked up the i literally picked up the local paper and i looked at the first advert and it said if you're good on the phone and you know how to talk and you know how to sell um we we got a job for you working with the top fortune 500 companies and i said fine I said, great, I'll just call them. And I called them and they pitched me, they interviewed me on the phone there and then. And they said, oh, we want you to sell sell us something. And, and uh, you know, kind of like this Wolf of Wall Street type situation. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried to sell them something. I can't remember what it was. He, he asked me to sell him a, a house or a car or something. I, I don't remember what it was. And five minutes later, he's like, you got the job, you start tomorrow. <laughs> and that was a call center. It turned out to be a scam, by the way. Um, <laughs> they would sell they would sell um, uh, advertising space in magazines, and they would claim that the magazine goes to the top forty thousand CEOs in whatever industry. We we found out way later that the magazines never got printed, never went mm -hmm. out. So they just sell the space, and it was one of those. You know, all the sales directors were on cocaine, and and you know it was very shady, and it was in and out with with the salespeople. It was see who can sell quicker quickest. But I made a lot of money. It was commission only, and I made a lot of money in in eighteen months. Um, and I learned how to talk properly on the phone. I didn't have that skill, um, mm -hmm. and I also started to understand how companies are structured. Um, so it was a really, really big. It was a real big help. And then September eleventh happened, just to give you a timeline. And I, my biggest sales were in America, because my style seems to the, the Brits didn't didn't buy off me um, <laughs> too much. Um, and September eleventh happened, and there was the, the crash in the economy in America. And I stopped being able to make my, enough money to sustain, but I had enough money to start my first legal business venture. Um, right. And so, and so I started, I started right after that, right after September 11th. Right. So, so what was that first venture? That was digital marketing before email and, and internet. Um, my cousin had a, a, a photograph. You remember those Photoshop's? I think they still exist some, some places where you walk in and you bring out your film and Mm -hmm. and they print print off your photos yeah so he had a photoshop a retail photoshop and he had an empty office downstairs so i partnered with him took the office downstairs and i started using his clients to build uh, digital marketing assets for them so so i worked with like uh, museums and antique dealers he was in the, the biggest antique area in, in london south kensington um so that that was that was my first first business euro digital it was called his hmm. his shop was called euro photo and i and i wanted to do the same brand so i called it Called it Euro Digital, and, and uh, I did that for four years, and then I I uh, liquidated the company um, because the internet took over and the digital cameras took over, and I didn't have the foresight to uh, to see that coming. Right. So then, yeah. so what, what what was what was next, and was it tough to make that decision to liquidate that first business, and then and then curious to hear what happened next. 
Yeah, well, the lesson there was uh, uh, don't rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. So, so meaning I, I should have, I, I saw that it was coming, but I tried to, to, so I bought my cousin out. I took the shop over. I tried to reinvent myself. I started selling black and white framed, you know, Marilyn Monroe's and Bob Marley's and John Lennon's. And that made good money actually for a time. And then I tried to get into photography and I tried to get into framing and different things. And, and it didn't matter what I did because it takes, it takes time to build your reputation and to master something, let's say. Mm -hmm. So by the time we were getting to grips with what worked, what didn't, the, the rent was going up, the, 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 you know, cash was going down. Um, and so it wasn't, it, it was, it was tougher because I delayed it, I would say. Right. It was I was in mm -hmm. denial a little bit, but I should have I should have um, cut loose long before. And instead, what ended up happening was I got barred as a, as a director for seven years um, because they thought I mismanaged, which te technically I did. <laughs> right. being honest. Um, um, and so so it was it was a tough decision. While I'd had the uh, I'd also set up this company in, in the office called Access Dubai. So I grew up in Dubai, pre bling Dubai. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is before Dubai. Anyone knew what Dubai was. People would always ask me, where the hell are you from? What is that? Um, and and Dubai was picking up. And so I started reconnecting with old school friends and family that were out there. And um, I set up a company called Access Dubai, which was, let's say you wanted to open an office in Dubai or you wanted to start trading in Dubai. There's lots of uh, regulation and, and, and red tape. So we would we would set that up for you. And so when I liquidated mm -hmm. and I got as a director, I said, well, why don't I just open access to buy in Dubai and just move there? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, that's what I did. That was the, the next thing. Got it. And, and how does a model work? Like, is, do, do you just, when, when you're helping opening people open up shops in different countries, do you charge them like, hey, here's a flat fee and we help you with everything? Yeah. Is it hourly? Is it, how do, how do you figure yeah. out that model? Pro project fee, I use the project management skills. So, so let's say you wanted to open, it, it wasn't just shops. It was people that just wanted to open um, a warehouse in the free zone because they have they have free zone where you don't pay tax. Right. You can store stuff in Dubai because Dubai is Dubai is the center of the world really, which is why the the airline does so well now in the airport. Because like, so how many people say, oh, I did a stopover in Dubai, right? Mm -hmm. So they they built these free zones where you could just store stuff there, hmm. and then you could send it out to whatever whatever country. Um, and because it's a port and it's got lots of airports, so it was people that wanted warehouse space. It was people that wanted to open just um, uh, a license there. Uh, and do digital marketing or whatever. It was people that wanted to send antique antiques to Dubai. It was people that wanted to open restaurants and bars and stuff like that. So anyone, anyone who really wanted to do anything in Dubai and didn't know what to do. And so we would charge them. Uh, there was a basic fee of a couple of thousand dollars, which was basically to, to give them the plan. And then we would give them sort of a menu of if you want. And we ended up, uh, Josh, doing re relocation services. So let's hmm. say you, you were moving to Dubai. Right. Uh, we would take your wife to find a house for her and then figure out which school to go to. It ended up um, as, as detailed as that, bringing your pets over, um, you, you know, uh, uh, translating your certifications, uh, doing all your medical. It didn't matter what it was. And, and all we would do is do a deal with the service providers in Dubai, take 20 percent off them and charge you 20 percent on top. So it was a very, very easy way to make money. But it was a big headache. And we got swallowed up by the. The big relocation companies who all moved to Dubai early, early 2000s, mid 2000s. All the big boys moved there, and and they took all our business really. But I made some good money for a year, 18 months, I would say. Right, and then yeah. what? And then what? 
I mean, this is... Uh... <laughs> so while I was setting up the relocation company, and so I, I love crepes, right? French fat, French pancakes, right? Mm -hmm. ones and and, I, I, um, and I, my, favorite re my favorite crepe restaurant was down the road from my cousin's Photoshop in London. And one day in Dubai, I was just craving crepes, and they said, oh, we don't have crepes here. And, and, and I thought, okay, that's an opportunity. So I went back to London, and I went and met Alex, the manager of the, the restaurant, and I said to him, would you, would you open a, a creperie with us in, in, in Dubai? And he said he doesn't know, he's not sure, and, and all this stuff. And then, and then a couple of months later, he quit. He had a fight with the, with the, with the owner, and he quit. When I grabbed a hold of him, I managed to get, he was in Thailand, uh, I think looking for a wife or something. And, and I, I managed to get him and I said, look, on your way back from Thailand, come to Dubai, I'll show it to you. And he, he loved Dubai and we ended up opening. And the idea was just open a couple of cafes, let Alex run it and that'll just be cash. That'll just be some cash coming in for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I get to eat crepes, which is, which is what I, I love to eat. And that ended up becoming a much better business than the relocation business. And so mm -hmm. I ended up um, focusing on that. Very cool. It, it's yeah. it's really uh, interesting, Mo, how it's like, I can see through your story how one led to another, but these are all like very different businesses, right? Yeah. So so what, was it difficult kind of like, you know, jumping from, you know, you're going from photography to relocation to food. Yeah. What was that learning curve like? So so it, 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 this is a, upon reflection, mm -hmm. right? So I wouldn't have been able to tell you this at the time. Um, I, I didn't know, see, this is, if you look at a tennis player or a baseball player or, or, or a musician or a DJ, which I, who I ended up working, I worked, worked with a lot of DJs uh, later in my life. They love the craft. So, so like a, a Djokovic or, or an adult love hitting a tennis, they just love hitting the tennis ball or, or, or a, you know, a, a, a baseball, whatever they call them. I don't watch baseball, but um, <laughs> um, they love hitting the, the ball or, or pitching the ball, right? And a musician loves playing playing the guitar or, or 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 the drums or whatever it is or singing. I didn't have that. What I loved doing was bringing people together and coming up with ideas. Right. And so so the two things I learned about myself retrospectively was I liked starting stuff, but I didn't like continuing it. Right. I didn't like the day to day. I just liked the the the, the, the creation. Mm -hmm. And second of all, I didn't know what I liked to do. So I didn't love photography. I didn't love the food business. I didn't love um, relocation services, but I, I loved um, working with people. And so most of my businesses were to do with service of some sort and was and I was working with people in the business that I thought were, were super talented. So 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 and that's what led me to today. So what I do today is I help people figure out what what they want to do and, and to, to push them to be the best they can doing that thing. And that's mm -hmm. only that's only retrospectively that I realized that I was kind of doing that all along, but I, I right. didn't know I was doing it. I just thought I was an entrepreneur. Right. I mean, you were right. Yeah, depending on how you define entrepreneur, but yeah. Right. I think right. In, in in most definitions, yes, I, I was. Right. Very cool. So so then, what happened with the crepe business, and then what happened next? I mean, I. So. So I don't know how much more time we have because this is not even we're not even halfway through the story. But 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 it, but, it, but it's super interesting, right? Um, so the crepe business grew to three three. We we were in three of the biggest malls in Dubai, right? So we started with a, a small crepe catering unit that we took to all the big festivals until we found a, a position. I don't know if you know Dubai, but they had the first, or I think it was the second indoor ski slope. Hmm. I think the first one was in Australia. 
It might have been the first, actually. I don't know. Um, they have an indoor ski slope in Mall of the Emirates, which was the busiest mall in the world at the time. And and we got the uh, our first cafe on the viewing hmm. pane of the of the of the of the ski, which was amazing. Um, but then what happened with Dubai is the next biggest mall came out, and the next biggest mall, and the next biggest mall. So so we had the three we had the three main malls that we wanted, and we had a a, a very cool catering unit that we that we took to all the festivals, jazz festival and and the Masters football and and, and whatever it was, and. Uh, and then I was like, and then we started getting offers for the for the, the fourth one and the fifth one and all the new molds, right? And I was like, how are we going to control? Like, how are we going to control this? So, so I did. I started to do some research, and then I realized, you know, it's kind of the Predomange model. I think was the one I came across, which was you need a, a central kitchen, so that you can prepare everything there and just finish it. So it's the hub and spoke model or the satellite uh, model, right? Right. So I was like, okay, where the hell am I going to get a central kitchen from? And and I found an out of business bakery, and I made an offer, and I took the bakery, mm-hmm. and I had all this bakery equipment, and I couldn't get rid of it. And the so I called the, the the owner, she was a British lady, and I said to her, "What do you? How is there? Do you know anyone who'd buy this equipment off me?" And she said, "No, but there was a German baker who I really liked, who I was going to hire. Uh, you might want to talk to him." So I I contacted him. And I got along with him really well from the beginning. And he said, look, why don't we why don't we bake stuff? You got the equipment. You don't need. So I was like, fine, let's bake stuff. So we started baking stuff for the for the for my crepe cafes, but also to sell them to sell them um, externally. Right. And and I saw that there was a business there. So then I went and got some finance, some investors to open a proper bakery. So I came up with this concept of the central production kitchen. I came up with the concept of having a, a bakery, a pastry room, a hot and cold kitchen, a dark kitchen, which now is a thing. I didn't even know about it at the time. I promise you. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what this was, but I was like, I was like, why don't we why don't we set up kitchens so that people like me, when I was just the crepe fan, can use the kitchen and rent like a co-working space. Yeah, that, right? that's become really popular lately, Massive. especially with Uber, Uber Eats and all that stuff, right? Exactly. Exactly, and deliver and, and things like that. Because yeah. because you think about it, it's like I don't need to, to pay rent and to buy a kitchen, and you have to do all the health and safety, and you have to buy the equipment, you have to insure the equipment, and it's like why? So it's a genius idea, and I thought of, I swear to God, I thought of this, and this is in two thousand nine or ten. This would have been, right? And so so I was like, this is what I I want to build this, but we couldn't raise the investment to build it. While I was looking for the investment. A guy who I know, Dutch guy, said, look, there's an out-of-business chocolate factory. And they've got the type of space you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he's only got some chocolate equipment in, and most of it's empty. So I went and saw it, and it was perfect. And I was like, I'll take it. So I did the, I did the deal with the landlord. We had enough investment to start there. And I would say, oh, I'll say enough investment. I wanted about um, one and a half million dollars I needed. And we raised just under a million, Right. And I thought it was enough. I thought, okay, I'll, 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 I'll figure out how to, how to do it. And that, in hindsight, was a mistake because I knew it was a million and a half dollars. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew that's what we needed. And now if I went back in time or how I advise people is I, 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 shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have started with a million. I should have just kept the million. You know how like when they do these crowd funds and, and when, you, when you submit your, your, your donation, it, they won't release it until the entire amount is met? Yeah. That's what I should have done. And, 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 and that was ultimately my downfall with that business. But, but we, we turned it into 
the third biggest bakery in Dubai within three years. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's it seems to me, Mo, that there's a there's a big opportunity in looking for uh, rundown businesses because uh, because <laughs> those those seem to be a source of many opportunities for you, right? This is what I tell everyone: look for businesses that already and and it's not just rundown, Josh. You'll find. A father who wants to retire and his son doesn't want the business. It's a good business. Mm-hmm. You'll also find a lot of businesses where it's 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 reliant on the owner, right? This was this was so my other couple of my other businesses. That's where my problem was. It was reliant on me, right? And so what ends up happening? You, you want your business to be an, an asset. Well, the only way it can be an asset is if it's individual agnostic, which means anyone can be fired or leave or get hit by a bus, or or you know, run off with their girlfriend to, to Costa Rica or whatever it is, and the business should be able to run on. That's Google and Apple and, and, and things like that. It doesn't matter who's in charge, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so, I think there's a lot of opportunity with businesses that aren't assets yet, where the, the guy wants to retire or he wants to just ease back, and you can go in, do a deal to buy the business, pay him off from the profit, and learn from him or her while you're while they're um, um, untangling themselves from it, I right. think that's a. I think that's the best way to start as an entrepreneur. Right. Unless, yeah. Unless you have a clear, because because this is the weird thing for me. A lot of entrepreneurs have an idea, so they're not an entrepreneur. They just have an idea, and I think there's just as many entrepreneurs who don't have an idea, but they're entrepreneurial. Yeah, I I totally but, agree, and and the yeah. other thing to it, at least here in Canada, there's. I think it's even more of an opportunity because of all the baby boomers that are retiring in the next 10, 15 years. So there's a crazy stat that uh, in the U.S., I think it is, something like 10,000 people are retiring every day. And so I read this in an article. I forget which one. 10,000 people estimated are retiring every day. Let's say say 1% of people are entrepreneurs, right? That means there's, if I'm doing the math right, a hundred entrepreneurs retiring every day, right? And like you said, many of those might not have kids to take it over, or might not have anybody to sell it to. They can't and, sell it because it's not an because it's not an asset. Yeah, 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 and and so it could be a great opportunity for. That's genius. Yeah. So you just made me think of another business idea. (laughs) I'm afraid to give you even more because Mo, we've already covered like seven or eight and uh, you said we're only halfway through. So Mo, why why don't we do this? Because I want to talk a little bit too about what you're doing right now. Can you summarize really quickly everything else that led to what you're doing now? Yeah, it's actually, it's actually a lot simpler. So, so I ran the, the bakery business and the, and the creperie chain and and we expanded that. I ran that, um, until 2000. 15, which is when I stopped all my entrepreneurship, which is what I'll, what I'll get to in that, in that period, I started working with restaurants to help them. So I used my relocation, um, experience to help brands open in, in the middle East. And then, and then, cause I wanted to learn how to franchise my crep business. I started working with companies that wanted to franchise. And so I, I, I developed a food consultancy and then that turned into a hospitality consultancy <laughs> And then I started working with uh, clubs, restaurants, bars that weren't making money to see what we could do. So we would help them with their menu redesign. We'd help them hire the right people. And that got me into the clubbing world. And then the biggest clubbing, the biggest urban DJ in, in, in uh, the Middle East, Danny Neville, 
um, he saw me doing my stuff and, and, and he was, my, he was my favorite DJ. And so he came to me one day and said, will you, will you manage me? And so it took us a few months to figure out the details, but the deal was I'll manage you only if we set up a talent agency and you become my first. My, Cause he didn't have we'll, enough we'll, businesses at that point. Right. <laughs> well, well, uh, this was, this was the one I was really excited about Josh. Cause this yeah. is the first time I realized what I want to do is help the, 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 the talent. Right. That's when I realized it, but still subconsciously. But it was it was exciting for me. So I set up a talent agency with Danny Neville, and we ended up um, opening an events events company on the back of that. <laughs> um, I also, there was a guy I used to bring to train my staff in the restaurant business. And I liked him, and he didn't have a business. He was a one-man band. So I set up a training company with him. <laughs> we needed an office. So I, I spoke to a friend of mine who had a big office and wasn't using it. And we turned that into a co-working space, which turned into, that was the first co-working space in Dubai, by the way. I right. didn't even know the term co-working. Right. So I set up a dark kitchen without knowing what that is. And I set up a, a, a co-working space without knowing what that is. And what, what, that's when I started consulting because small businesses, first-time business owners would come and rent a desk from us or a space of the office. And I would start supporting them with their, their business ideas, right? And so we set up this central business operations unit where we'll do your admin, we'll do your HR, we'll do your uh, operations, we'll do your accounts. And all you have to do is focus on developing your business. Hmm. So that's really interesting because that's like we work on steroids, right? Like like a lot yeah, of the co-working spaces small, right now, it's like right, smaller, right, right. but in the yeah. sense that, you know, they offer you an office and what you offered, which sounds really smart because as someone who started a couple of businesses, like that stuff's a pain in the ass, right? The bookkeeping, yeah. the HR. So that, that sounds brilliant. And why, and why pay for an H why pay for a shitty HR manager, right? Or, or an in, in, incompetent or an inexperienced one, when you can pay for a high level one, split the bill with, with 12 yeah. different companies and have them in the office all the time. I, I had such a headache with a part-time bookkeeper. Right. So, uh, anyways, that's another yeah legal legal bookkeeping uh, secretary. Like we got a really amazing office manager. Like we wouldn't have been able to afford her if, if it was just me, my business, mm -hmm. or, or any of them. And suddenly you got some. So you had some real competence in there. And that's when I started developing ideas about the one page plan for business. Right. And it's like if we get these things right, accounting, this, that, that. How do we get it right? And internet was booming, and the gig economy was booming, and the shared economy was booming, and all that stuff was happening. So that's what that was really exciting. So, and then I set up with my ex-fiance a fashion uh, um, a talent agency. She loved what I was doing with DJs. She wanted to do it with with models because she had access to them. That was a complete. That was a fucking disaster. Um, 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 I think that I think that covers it. Right. Oh, and and I opened Dear Dubai, which was um, a hospitality. So Dear Dubai was a hospitality, a BBM, a BlackBerry Messenger hospitality thing. So, and the tagline was Leave your wallet at home. So imagine, Josh, you called me. Where are you based in Canada? Toronto. Okay, so imagine, do you know starting from scratch? No. DJ? Okay, he's a big DJ in Toronto. He, mm. he's, the, he's the tour DJ for uh, Russell Peters, the, the comedian. Okay. So I, he, he, was on, he was on my uh, DJ talent agency. So, oh, very cool. So um, if, let's say, dear Toronto, right? Let's say we came to Toronto, me and my friends, and we wanted to experience the best in Toronto. Imagine you saying, what's your budget? And I tell you, $20,000. You say, send me the $20,000, leave your wallet at home, and everything will be taken care of. You'll be picked up hmm. at the airport. You'll have a host 24-7. All the restaurants are booked. All the clubs are booked. All your favorite drinks. Wow. Everything's in, in advance. 
that was the most amazing business, Josh. And that's how Danny, that's when Don, Danny asked me to manage him because he saw how I was organizing these club nights for these. And we worked with footballers and boxers and, and actors and, and, and stand-up comedians and models. Like mm -hmm. we had a really cool, and then I expanded that to Vegas and New York and Ibiza and Mykonos. And, and we, we, we created like an alliance of, of concierges. Right. You must have some good stories from that, but maybe we'll, we'll yeah, save that yeah, for a I different can't. show. But <laughs> I, I, only, yeah. only private. When I come to Toronto, Josh, and we go for a beer, I can, I can off, off air. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Awesome. So, so Mo, uh, two questions. Number one was, how did you transition to what you're doing now? And my, my, my one B is how much of all the stuff we've talked about, like, did you get rid of all of it? Did you sell all of it or hand it off and you're just focused on this one thing now or how did, yeah, how did it's things the same. Look? It's the same. It's the same answer, I think. So, so we had real problems with our investors. We we were underfunded for the bakery, so I kept taking more debt and I kept building the business. Right, gambling to, that that someone will come and buy it off us, and actually that ended up happening. But to cut a long story short, and without also putting anyone in trouble or saying anything that might upset anyone, we we got into a fundamental disagreement about what needs to happen next. And because in Dubai, I guaranteed everything in my name, right? Um, there was a risk that if things went tits up, as, as we say in the UK, right. then I might have been detained in Dubai until the debts paid off. Right. So I spoke to my lawyer and I said, look, I'm happy to negotiate extra from, from another country, but I don't want to risk it here. And he said, fine, pack your bags. Give me power of attorney. Pack your bags. Go to London where you know you're safe and we'll do all the negotiations. And that's what ended up happening. But it took about 18 months to solve this thing. Hmm. So what the hell am I going to do for 18 months? So that's when I took a year, a year and a half out and I started reflecting and thinking and, and learning and extracting the learning and talking to people and getting feedback from everyone I worked with and untangling and undoing some of the businesses and winding down some of the other businesses, selling off some of the other businesses, um, closing off relationships. And in that 18 months, that's when I came up with the concept of the one-page plan. Hmm. And and that's when I decided I don't want to go back into entrepreneurship. I want to, well, it is kind of entrepreneurship yeah. still, I suppose. But but rather than um, brick and mortar businesses, which is what, I, what I've been based with, I thought I thought I want to I want to teach and I want to support people and I want to do things in my way. Uh, um, so so that's why I gave it up. And I ended up it ended up with the scenario seemed to me at the time, either I give up everything or, or I'm going to be stuck with this mess. I can't, I can't have my cake and eat it. I can't pick and choose. And that's one of the fundamental things I teach people. I say to them, if you're not happy with your life, everything's up for change. You can't mm -hmm. pick and choose. You can't say, well, I'm happy with my home or I'm happy with my job or I'm happy with my wife or I'm happy, but I'm not happy with my life. It's like, well, then we have to test whether you need to stay with your wife or whether you need to stay in your home or whether you need, we have to challenge everything. Right. right? And I watched fight club, the movie again, uh, not for the first time. And, and the quote in there is only when you lose everything, are you free to do anything? Hmm. And the minute I heard that quote, I was like, that that's exactly right. That's the, that's the hero's journey. That's the death and rebirth. That's the story that appears in, in Rocky and, and, and star Superman and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. It's the same story. It's where you have to kill your old self and and then and then emerge as your new, the real you kind of thing mm -hmm. with all the deadwood burned off, right? 
So, and it made so much, you know, when you hear something and you know, it's true and, but you can't really explain it rationally. Yeah. I was like, that's what I have. I, I realized right then that's what I have to do. So I started figuring out how to let go of everything. And that took a bit of, bit of time. But in that time I was developing my ideas. And so I traveled the world and I met lots of people and went on to let lots of workshops and accelerators. And, and I went as a mentor to a lot of business um, startup uh, groups to see, to see what they're doing. And then that's when this concept emerged really clear for me. And I thought, okay, that's, I'm going to focus only on this. Cause I know one of the questions I always get asked is, you know, my mom, you call it interesting or, or maybe you don't, I don't know. A lot of people say it's interesting. Your journey. My mom calls it a lack of focus. Right. Like why can't you just focus on one thing? And she's right. If you look at anyone who's ever been successful, really they've got a clear focus. Generally speaking, there are some outliers, but that, that's generally what it is. So I decided in 2016, August the 30th, I remember the day that this was going to be my focus. And, right. and, and so I've been doing that since, since 2016. Although, honest, to, to be honest with you, I've been distracted by a couple of projects that got offered to me in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been fully 2016 to 2022. Um, there was a couple of years out where I was working on different projects. But, but that was a reminder you know, like when you go back to an ex-girlfriend and then you remember why you broke up with her. So yeah. that, that was like a reminder that, no, the calling is is here. So yeah. that was, although that was tempting and that was great, it's not giving me what I want and it's not who I want to be. Right. And, and that's really what the one page plan is about. Right. And so how has it been, Mo, in the sense that you spent what sounds like quite literally decades, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff, bouncing around and, and being successful in it. Has it been kind of liberating in a sense to just have this one focus and pour everything into just that? The most, the most, li- there's a quote and I don't know who said it and I can't find it online. Real wealth is what's left when everything gets taken away from you. Hmm. Right. And, and what I take that to mean is that whatever happens to me, you know, it's, it's kind of like man's search for meaning. I don't know if you've read that book. No. But it's this it's about Viktor Frankl who was in Auschwitz or, or one of the concentration camps. And 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 he was saying you can you know you can take my family away from me, you can take my dignity away, my clothes, my livelihood, my food, but you can't take away my attitude. You can't stop me from choosing how I want to think about things. And I was like, that's really powerful. So so everything I've done and everything I will do from now on is designed to make me a better person better able to more response able more 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 able to respond to the unknown what's going to come in the future and and if i always had this i don't have kids right and i don't have pets and i don't have any dependents i don't have any big debts i don't have there's nothing that stops me from taking a risk let's say right and there's no one i have to ask for anything which is an advantage in some ways right i know that push comes to shove, I can get a job in a bar or in a McDonald's. I know I can do that. So so that allows me to, to focus fully on what I want to do, knowing that worst case scenario, what's going to happen? I can talk, I'm intelligent, I've got experience, I'm educated, so I can, I can probably get a job somewhere. And mm-hmm. I often test this. I'm constantly applying for jobs, right? Some of my friends think I'm nuts. I'm constantly <laughs> applying for jobs on LinkedIn. And they're like, what are you doing that for? And I'm like, I want to see. I want to see if I get the job. I want to see if I can negotiate the salary. I want to see what type of interview process. It re- really. So and, have you ever you know been offered one? Job? 
I've been offered jobs. Yeah. I, and I, what do you, and, and what do you say? At the end I say, no, I've, I've considered it and I've got, I've got other, other, other options. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. <laughs> I've got contracts out of this, a consultant contract. Right. Because what I end up doing is I end up turning the interview on them and saying, well, have you noticed how you got this opportunity that you haven't done? Or have you noticed how the recruitment process that you're doing now is, is inefficient? You could do it much better. And I end up, <laughs> I end up picking up a couple of consulting gigs, quite lucrative ones, on the back of. But you see how, you see how you don't have to do things convention, conventionally. Conven conventionally is that the right yep. word? Yep. Yep. Right. You don't have to do. You, like just do whatever you want to do. I got the idea from hedge funds. Like hedge funds will always put their, the companies they own up for sale, not with the intention of selling them, but with the intention of understanding what the market value is, hmm. and seeing who's interested in them. Yeah. So, so for me, it's expert. You know, that's the Simon Amstel quote, the, the documentary maker. Life is exploration, not destination. In in the end, you die. So so how are you going to explore the world before you die? Well, I'm just ex I'm constantly exploring. Hmm. Even even reaching out to you, right? It's it's just a constant exploration of what's out there, who's out there, what ideas, uh, who's doing what, how do they, how do they do it? How does how does Josh run his podcast? What kind of questions does he ask? Right. right. Um, this is all what's interesting for me because this will allow me to grow and develop my own ideas. And, and, and I don't think there's any excuse for not doing that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. What would you say, Mo, to someone who is in the previous Mo phase? So so they're jumping around. I get not, not to make it sound like it's a bad thing because it's led to where you are right now, right? But yeah. for someone, maybe they're earlier in their career, they're bouncing around, maybe they aren't that focused. What's one or two pieces of advice you would give to them? Even if it's just, you know, Hey, keep doing it till you find your own, you know, one page plan type thing for them. Yeah, I think I, so. So just to, this might be a useful segue with, with the one page plan. So so the idea of the one page plan is to start off with your your North Star, no matter what you're doing. Right. Whether you want to get married, whether you, I mean, how many most of my friends have kids now. Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll mess with their heads. I'll, I'll say, why do you why you have why you why do you have kids? And they can't answer the question. Like, like the most common answer is, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And it's like, what do you mean you're supposed to do? Yeah, that's like, not a great you? answer. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 right. And, and I'll start messing with their heads. I'm like, you know that the kids have no, no choice, right? You're, you're kind of creating this life and the kid has no choice and you're not probably ready for parenting and you're probably going to abuse them without realizing it psychologically and the kids are going to end up resenting. And, and I, I try and get in their heads. The point isn't to, to upset them or to, to the point is to, to show them that you're, you're not intentional enough with the decisions you're making hmm. and you're not preparing yourself for the for the consequences of those of those decisions and that's what i notice in entrepreneurship right it's like i want to be an entrepreneur why oh i want to run my own business why oh i want to be my own boss why and they and then they're, and they're stuck i don't mm -hmm. like being told what to do no one likes being told what to do welcome to it's called the human race who the hell likes being told what to do, right? So, so, so what I would what I would advise, and this is what I didn't understand because no one ever asked me these questions. Not that I would have given them the opportunity to, by the way, in my <laughs> younger, more stubborn days. But think about what kind of life you want to live, and how what you're doing today is helping to get there, right? So, and what I mean by type of life you want to live, I don't mean I want a house 
and a beautiful wife and five kids. I don't mean that. I mean, why do you want the house and the beautiful wife and the kids? What's that going to give you that you don't have now? Right. Mm -hmm. And so we start thinking in precise terms without the specificity of detail. So, for example, you would say, I want to be surrounded by people who love me. I want to uh, feel secure. Right. I want to have my environment set up in the best way, in the way that encourages the best behaviors for me. I want to be challenged. I want to um, enjoy the process of what I'm doing. I want to achieve results. I don't want to be scared. I want to be confident in what I'm doing. I want to be able to speak my mind. Those are the things that aren't specific, but they're precise in nature. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, so so if that's what you want, if that's the world, that's kind of like the, the, what the kids call living your best life, right? Or you can call it heaven if you want. And there's a, there's a saying in the Marines, which is everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that thing, everyone wants a six pack, no one wants to go to the gym. So it's like, have you understood the process of what you're going to have to go through to get to your utopia? Do you understand right. what, there's that quote from Elon Musk about if you want to know what it's like to be an entrepreneur, break some glass and chew it, chew on it. And, and, and you know, it's something like that. I, I don't know what the quote is exactly, but it's like, do you know what you're putting yourself, because everybody wants to be the top tennis player or the top actor or the top football player. And it's like, but no one wants to do the work. Yeah. So it's like, so when I say one page plan, it's, it's mapping out what kind of life you want to live, how you, how you, how you think you need to, to get there. You know, the principles and the values that you need to follow to get there, like discipline and consistency and routine, right? And accountability. And then what that looks like in the next 12 months. Why? And this is, I, I think, this is the summary of, of my learning. Because I never understood this until very recently when I started studying sports coaches. You don't need goals beyond 12 months. You know, these people that say, you need a five-year goal you need a seven-year goal you need a they don't know what they're talking about john that's a vision that's a i've got a beautiful family and i'm 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 work-life balance and i'm doing the things i love and i'm that's a vision that's not a goal the goals for 12 months are designed to make you a better josh that has a better opportunity to create that life right Mm -hmm. so so once you figured out where what life you want to live and the principles that you're agreeing to follow that you're aligning with, then all you need to do is figure out what the next 12 months looks like. And you you reverse engineer it to today, and then you say, okay, what's the next best step now? So if you want to run a business, what's the next best step? Right. Right. And then you focus, it's like in football where they say you just have to keep winning games, and then they'll total up the points. And you don't have to think about what you're going to do in April and which game you're going to play and which player. You don't have to think about any of that. You just have to say, what's the best thing for me to do next? But it all collapses if you don't have the North Star, if you don't know why you're, why you're doing what you're doing. And I never knew that until 2015, 2016. Hmm. I started exploring 2015. In 2016, I realized what kind of life I wanted to live. And that's why I won't take on a project with a, with a venue that anchors me, because I want right. the freedom to roam and explore, right? I don't want to be a part of a team, because I want to be able to, to change my mind and work with different people and pick and choose who I work with. Right. Because right. it gives me greater, um, uh, greater challenge, greater awareness. Right. So so it's all these things. Once I got clear on them, then I then I could then match everything against that and say, well, does this project fit that criteria? Right. And if it doesn't, then, then then I should say no. So 
So ultimately, the one-page plan is a decision-making funnel where you go through seven criteria. And if your decision doesn't fit the criteria, the idea is you should say no to it. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mo, I, I want to ask, now that you've worked with a lot of people in creating that type of plan, what are one or over two of thousand. the... Over, over now that you've been with over a thousand, that, that's yeah. that, that's pretty statistically significant, I would argue. Um, yeah. What what are one or two of the common struggles or mistakes that people tend to make, or or things that you tend to have to help them with? So that's a, that's a that's a really important question. We get bogged down in details. What what do I do? Right? What should I do? What should the logo be? What should the price be? What should the right? I think there's three problems that you have in life only. Obviously, the detail of the problem are, are infinite, but they fit into one of three categories. You don't know where you're going. Direction. So you know you, you don't know why you want to be an entrepreneur, why you want to be a parent, why you want to be a tennis player. You don't know why, which means you don't know where you're going. Right? And if you think about it, that's our that's our primary concern as a as a as a human being. If I called you and I said, Josh, I'll pick you up in 20 minutes, your first question is, where are we going? If I say, let's meet for a coffee, where are we going? Let's go to the movie theater, where are we going? Let's go on holiday, where are we going? It's always the first question, right? Where are we going? Even with this conversation, what's the first thing you said to me? This is how we're going to structure the conversation. You're telling me where we're going with the conversation because it's mm -hmm. the primary concern, right? So the first problem is we don't know where we're going. It's aimless. A friend of mine, good friend of mine says, well, I am, I am aimless intentionally. I said, well, then you know where you're going <laughs> because you're, you're aimlessly exploring with, with the idea that it doesn't matter where you end up. That's intentional. It sounds paradoxical, right? So you got to figure out where you're going. That's the first thing. Once you've figured out where you're going, the next problem is how are we going to get there? So let's say you and I decide we're going to go to Vegas for the weekend and that's where we're going. We have to then figure out how we're going to get there. Is it by plane? Is it by car? Is it by... Uh, train is it in the morning is it luxury is it budget is it we have to decide right how and that's to do with values and principles and i would go out on a limb and say the majority of people don't understand values let alone know what their values are and i mean values in terms of how you choose to live hmm. right not freedom oh my values freedom it's like yeah everyone's values freedom who's going to say no my values restraint you know what I mean? Like it's it's it, or, or or love. It's like no, you want hate to be a. Of course, love. Of course, love and freedom and peace and joy are are universal values. I would call them. But it's like, how do you choose to get there? Right. Okay. So where are you going? First problem. Second problem is how am I going to get there? And then the third problem is what are the best steps? The best next steps. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, Jack, the guy who runs uh, uh, some of the programs with me on the one page plan, says there's a fourth problem, which is procrastination. <laughs> you know where you're going, you know how to do it, you know what to do next, but you're not doing it. My argument to that is, if you're not doing it, it means you don't know how. That's the second problem. Mm -hmm. And it could be that you don't know where you're going, you don't know what the point is, which is why you're procrastinating. It's like, I know what to do, but I don't want, you know, we, 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 we've all, it's like studying for an exam. It's like, what's the fucking point? Why am I studying for this? What is it? What's geography? What's the name of these clouds going to give me in my life? Like, why do I have to learn the dinosaur? You, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. so, so you're not going to study, even though you know you need to study. 
Yeah. Right? So I, I think that still comes down to where are we going and how, how, how we want to get there, as opposed to what to do. Yeah. And I don't think that's the fourth problem, procrastination. And that's a, that's an off, that's a common thing. When you ask me what's the common thing, I'm lazy and I procrastinate. That's not the reason. That's yeah. the outcome. Yeah, it's usually That's tied to some, you know, if we could go back and watch a replay of an afternoon where we procrastinated, we could probably point to, oh, it's actually because uh, yeah. ABC. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. Well, so, so I call it the three C's, uh, Josh. So clarity, you know where you're going. You're clear. Confidence that you know you know how you want to get there and you know it's your way. That That's what gives you confidence. This is my way, right? And then commitment. Well, what are you committing to? You're committing to a, a, a specific pathway, short term, that you believe is going to get you to where you want to be. And that's your mm -hmm. only, and, and I would argue that your only commitment is the pathway that, that helps you live your best life. That's the only thing you're truly committed to. You'll break up with your wife if you think it's not helping you live your best life. You'll end your business if you think it, you'll break up with your business partner. You'll, you'll fight with your best friend, right? All these commitments are conditional upon you living your best life. And if you think something's going to stop you, you're probably going to break that commitment, which means mm -hmm. the only true commitment is to live life on your own terms. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Mo, th this has been great. The time's, time's just flown by uh, getting getting <laughs> through your journey and, and learning all the key takeaways. My, my second last question is always, for, for those out there that are listening right now, maybe they're working a nine to five, they're not happy with where they're at, or maybe they're struggling, you know, in the early stages of a business. What are one or two pieces of advice you would give to them right now? So if you're not, if you're not, so, so this is a good exercise. You map out a list, you call it Sunday. I got this from the minimalists. I don't know if you've heard of them. You, you map out your someday list your imagine if list, right? You're living your best life. So just write down seven statements that you believe will will uh, uh, um, precisely describe you living your best life, right? And then, you, and then you mark out the ones that aren't true right now. And you link that to your job or your business. And you figure out what is it about the job that's not giving me that? What is it about the business that's not giving me that, right? That's the first thing. And is it possible in this job or in this business to get to get there? Now, if it's possible to get there, you need to map it out so that you have the expectation and the patience. So you go, okay, mm -hmm. well, the first 12 months, nothing's really going to change, but I can achieve this progress, right? If, if the job's not going to get you to your best life, you have to come up with a 12-month plan for what you're going to do to get out of that job. And, and, and I would say it's that simple. Map out what you want your life to look like figure out where you are now and figure out in the next 12 months, how do you bridge that gap and just set yourself some basic goals and focus on those. Mm -hmm. And then in 12 months, you do it again. So, Cause here's the thing, Josh, imagine you improved your life by 1% a month. That's 12. That's more than 12% cause it's compound. Mm -hmm. Let's just make it simple. It's 12% a year. If you give me a business or a property, that's 12% return on investment. I'm investing a hundred percent without yeah. even looking at the business. If you say you guarantee me, so imagine improving your life by 1% a month, what you can do in three or four or five years. 
Yeah, it, it's a great way to put it because it, it's so reasonable, right? Um, saying, hey, you have to improve 30% in the next couple of years is a little intimidating. 1% a month is is doable, right? So uh, so I love that. One of, my, one of my best friends smokes 20 cigarettes a day. And for 20 years, he's been saying he wants to quit. Mm-hmm. But in his mind, it's either quit the 20 or stay stay a smoker. So I said to him, if you quit one, if you went down by one cigarette a year, you would have been on zero. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But instead, for 20 years, you've been complaining about not being able to quit smoking. But you could go from, from 20 to 19. That's an easy, that's an easy step. Mm-hmm. It's a 5% I, improvement. I used, to, I, used yeah. have, I used to have four spoons of sugar in my tea. Mm-hmm. And that's how I cut down. I do, you know, three and three quarters for a few months. And then I do three and a half. And now I'm on zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? No, it's 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 great, Mo. This this has been uh, this has been great. Really, really appreciate you sharing your story and and lessons. If if people want to get in touch with you or or learn more about the one page plan or get more of your content, where do you recommend that they go? Thank you for asking. So so Mo Choice M O E Choice is the only Mo Choice around. So you can find me on most uh, social media platforms, and I've got a link tree, which is link tr.ee forward slash mo choice and on there you'll see i, I run free master classes uh all my podcasts i put on there if, if the if the um um the person who oh, the host allows me to um the websites are there the one page plan my private website um and all my social media handles are there so with that one link link tr.ee uh forward slash mo choice or you can just google link tree mo choice um uh, you'll be able to get everything on on there and then you can pick and choose whatever whatever way you want to interact with me from there yeah, or check it out in the description, whether you're uh, watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast platform of your choice, we'll have it in the description there as well. Mo, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Josh, you're a gentleman. Thank you so much for the opportunity.